I've always like when people ask me my superpower, I always go, oh, I'm, I can speak every language in the business. And it's truly like the best operators can, like they can have a very deep conversational product. They can have a very deep conversation with science and take whatever they learn back to go to market and like streamline all things. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in pursuit of unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest to the podcast is a go-to-market and customer leader. He's a senior global go-to-market and operations executive who has a proven record of delivering enduring value to shareholders. He's also got deep experience guiding growth stage enterprise SaaS companies to hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. We've got the VP of Revenue Operations at Formstack, Daniel Swim. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you so much. You you made my background sound pretty great, so thank you. (laughs) Well, we're going to start off uh, maybe making you feel a little more vulnerable here. And yeah, we, we love learning about something that you had to learn through all of this experience you've had in RevOps the hard way. Give us something juicy, a good story, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the thing I had to learn the hard way is uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? I think we in RevOps are um, always trying to make things uh, new, better. And it's always a, a, an evolving system here in the business. And I think early on in my career, I found myself um, trying to make it perfect, right? And it just it just didn't work. So as, as a RevOps leader, we're always pitching to the business, hey, how do we make this better? How do we help your team? What can we do next to help evolve where we're going? So for me, um, it was very much learning through mistakes of trying to be perfect. I was trained in finance, so I'm trying to tick and tie to the last dollar and cents um, early in my career. But I've learned, um, you know, eighty percent of the way there is probably the right thing to solve for in an ops role because you can get eighty percent of the answer right and know the right strategic direction that you lead the business to. Were you the kind of person who would tweak your spreadsheets right up until the very last minute of? Presenting? Oh yeah, like so. I, I was a banker, so. Like formatting is is something that's drilled into my soul very deeply. So, um, you know, taken time, perfectly formatted. And then, you know, throughout my career, I've learned that this can, that can be a little waste of time sometimes. <laughs> and I'm, I want to tie it back to your original answer, which is how did you then learn to not need to make it perfect? What was the benefit you had to just say, hey, this is good enough for me to share and present? Yeah, I think when you're in such a fast moving environment in some of these SaaS companies, you have to move fast to survive, right? And the business is hungry for answers. So you can't sit there and take and tie and take days on things. Sometimes those decisions are needed in hours. Um, and that's kind of for, for me. And as I've grown in my leadership and have larger teams, you try to coach folks that way too, which is we don't need to tie the numbers to the finance model. We're not finance, right? We're ops. So 80% of the way there is, is, is going to be just fine. So Dan, your, your title is VP of RevOps. What does that entail? 
Yeah, I mean, RevOps is one of these functions, right? That it means something different at every company. So I think that's a great question. So the role that I've taken on at Formstack is very much focused right now on sales, marketing, and partner operations. I think um, my scope and other companies has been called yeah, full lead to revenue. So, um, you know, I think in my career, I've taken on this shape of an athlete and I just run to where the business needs me always. So in this in this role, I focus a little bit more on the top of the funnel than I have in the past. So it's a good opportunity to continue to sharpen some of my marketing skills as well. And how do you measure success? Yeah, I think... Um, so I've been in Formstack about four months. So um, we're still very much early on in building out the team and building out how we're going to structure ourselves. Um, in this at this company, I think it's really just about getting our sales and marketing teams revamped and accelerated for growth. So putting the right systems in place, putting the right structures, putting the right accountability around metrics and process. So I think that's as I talk to. Um, you know, my boss, the COO, in terms of what we're measuring success for me and my team, I think those are some of the key metrics this year, at least. Must be interesting to decide, you know, like how long, so you said you're, you're four months in, four, five months in, uh, how long to wait before making changes? Um, must be an inter- interesting thing to, to sift through. Yeah, well, so I think for me, um, you know, the thing I've always done is I've trust my gut. I have enough context so far in my career to know what what looks good and what doesn't when you get there. Um, so very early on in Formstack, we just found that the team was a little underskilled for where we needed to go and didn't have some of the right things that you would expect in a maturing RevOps organization. So we had to make some hard decisions in terms of talent. Um, and we did that about three months in. And now we've we've finally started to hit our footing and we're starting to hire some, some new roles into the team to help us accelerate that growth. So we see that over and over as companies need to scale. So they take a big round of funding and the expectations to grow are there. And then they realize uh, perhaps they need to upgrade a few of these or or just reorganize the team, bring on. And that's especially true after acquisitions where you may have yeah. multiple sets of the same role and not have other roles that are important to continue growth. An example being like an architect, bringing an architect on. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so instead of a cost center, how do you tie revenue ROI to your role and to your team? Question. Revenue ROI. Um, so what I've always had my team think about, and I think it's in my opinion, of course, is what makes some of the best rev- rib ops teams out there is that you tie your team to the number and you feel partnership with the organization, whether that be through marketing or through sales. So in some of the constructs and team structures I've, I've put together, you know, there's some level of a commercial operations function that serves as a deal desk that partners with the sales team to process and build velocity through the selling motion. That team is always tied to the number and tied to the number of their of their uh, divisions or regions that they support. So very easy to measure. Um, marketing ops team, same way, tied to the marketing performance and goals for marketing. Uh, customer teams, really kind of the net retention number and helping them run the right plays and giving them the right insights about customers to make sure that we have the predictive measures in place to to make sure that we're out of churn. Yeah. So Formstack has about 320 employees now. Yes. Uh, you, you took a, a, a private equity investment back in November uh, 2021. Uh, I'm curious, like what what size RevOps team uh, do you have at this point in time? Yeah. So we're we're just about 12 folks when I got here. Obviously, we made some, some um, changes to talent. I think we'll be about 10 by the time I rehire some of those roles. Obviously, we're, we're a small and mighty team. 
Um, there's a couple more roles I'd love to have that we're just not ready for at this point in time, but we will as we continue to scale some of our top line. Um, but yes, we are private equity backed by Silversmith Capital and PSG. So um, there are some growth expectations by our institution capital. Yeah, I bet. That's great. And how do you determine yeah. the right balance of in-house versus outsourced work? Yeah, it's funny you asked that question. It was actually one of uh, the questions our CEO, Chris Byers, asked me when I was coming on to Formstack. So um, how I thought about it in the past, and I really think about um, what, I, what we did at Duck Creek was um, you t- technically take a look at what you have in terms of true hard skills in a business and where you need expert support. So I, I always go back to this situation where we implemented our CPQ. At Duck Creek, I didn't have any CPQ talent. So this was something that we need to have held from the outside and then continue to bring someone to ride along with us and do some staff augmentation along the way with some true CPQ um, expertise in-house and really focus folks who we had on staff on things that are closer to the institutional knowledge of the business because that's hard to coach up in terms of consultants. So the more opportunities we get to plug in consultants along the way, we have some, some support here at Formstack those folks are focused on stuff that don't require that knowing the deep ins and outs of the business. And that's really where we're getting a ton of our lift. So it sounds like you're hiring. Do you have open positions on the RevOps oh, team Oh, thank you. So you're allowing me to do a plug here? That's great. Absolutely. Um, yes. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about more of my team structure, but um, we're building out a performance uh, analytics and planning function within RevOps right now. That's something we didn't have here at Formstack. So looking for um, really kind of a hands-on leader at the director level to come in and help me build out that vision and also hire a few folks from an analyst and senior analyst level to help them get on the ground, partner with our senior leaders in marketing and sales and, and success to really give them the, the information, drive the insights and then the actions into the business that we need to drive. Well, it seems like uh, there's some talent in the market right now. So um... You know, yeah, it's unfortunate. You. you wake up every day and there's there's more more companies um, you know making some cuts. I mean, we we had to make a hard decision too, and it's never easy. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all trying to move businesses forward and um, do that efficiently. I think that's the new key word that everybody's uh, using these days instead of grow at all cost. In speaking with you in advance of our podcast. I felt I got the feeling that uh, your MO is very GSD or get shit done. And we know when RevOps teams GSD, uh, we end up adopting or being tasked with other cool, you know, corporate level initiatives that may or may not neatly fit into, you know, that predefined RevOps function. You mentioned yeah. that your RevOps function is more top of funnel, sales, marketing, partner ops. Um, I'm wondering if you are as a result, as a leader or your function is involved in some other kind of uh, cross-functional initiatives, be that around um, planning, be that around uh, different kinds of opportunities for acquisition that you might be involved in? Yeah, no, it's an awesome question. Um, we do. We like to, to get shit done. That's kind of the mantra on the team. And I have this, I, I should have thought ahead of this, but my coffee cup that says, do your job, right? So that's kind of the big things we, we, we like to talk about here. Um, I think it's just the nature of the role. And it's it's really about building the connected tissue across the organization. And that's really the role that excellent RevOps teams play because you can speak so many different languages. You're you are you are the one team within the organization that can be multilingual across product, across sales, across finance, right? So 
Yes, we're very deeply involved in our planning. Um, so working with finance and building those interlocks across the organization to make sure that we have the right investments to support growth in all the areas of the business. Um, obviously, um, I have a background in banking and private equity, so I just naturally get thrown into acquisition conversations. So those are always fun. And then, you know, the most important thing about the acquisition is integration. I've seen good ones, I've seen bad ones, and I've seen really bad ones. So um, a lot to learn from there. But obviously, pricing and packaging is another partnership motion between often product and finance and ops from a go-to-market perspective. So there's plenty of, of areas where we've touched upon um, and the various roles I've had. Let me peek behind the scenes a little bit. Um, yep. When you say that you get pulled into um, you know, the different opportunities for acquisitions, how do you get involved? What are you typically asked to look at either for that yeah. um, potential company or for your own uh, readiness to be able to in- integrate? Yeah, no. Um, so this is where I get to put on my my old banker and, and private equity hat. So I get excited because early on in my career, I always thought I wanted to go back, but I've just you know become so in, uh, engrilled in being a good operator at this point. Um, really, it's evaluating, at least from the roles that I've had, it's evaluating um, some of these companies as you would an investment as if you were in private equity, right? So it's looking at the key fundamentals of the business, understanding the product, and really having an investment thesis for how that's going to fit into your company. And then furthermore, how does that integrate and go forward? So um, very early on in the process, you're just getting an understanding, you're doing a deep dive. A lot of the times I'm brought into the product and go-to-market conversations. Now, I'm not a technologist, so I can't go through and give you a true read as to how that looks from a technical perspective, but I can go in and understand how that then looks to a user or to a customer, how that fits our go-to-market strategy, and how we then tuck that into the future rollout of how we're going to sell, market, and take this product to market, um, whether it be part of a broader product portfolio or be a standalone company. Like there's different ways that you could run that acquisition depending on your strategy. So those are some of the things that I have generally got involved in um, as part of the inorganic uh, strategy. Yeah. I think that's really cool to um, bring in your experience having been on the investor side. And one thing we're very curious about um, when we speak with RevOps leaders is how they typically communicate effectively to the board, tell that narrative. I'm, I'm interested in having you share a little bit about how you do it today. And also, what are some of the things you've learned when you need to interface with the board, given that experience of having been on the board yourself on the investor yeah. side? Yeah, no, I, I think that's always the fascinating thing is I've, I've been on both sides of the table, which is really unique um, and have given me a new perspective when you prepare for a board meeting as to what the expectations are and what the board wants to hear. And I think at the end of the day, the board really wants to hear, yes, like how you're performing, but how do we help you, right? I think that's the most important thing, whether that be, yes, we're challenged in these areas and here's what we're thinking and here's where we need your support, or here are some opportunities that we'd love to exploit in the market. And we'd love introductions to these companies and to these people that you know on these boards. Um, so those are some of the more effective um, uses of the board now, obviously, like we went through it this week. We're deep dives. I mean, we're not, our board deck's not even done at this point. Um, we have a board meeting next week, so that's always fun, right? But it's, you know, thinking about the, the storyline that the board, that you're telling the board, the supporting materials, and then, you know, any follow-up that might come out of that to make sure that you're prepared to have that conversation. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I might be a little, a little tired after my, my board prep this week, but 
we do have a revenue kickoff next week, which would be a, it's a great opportunity for us to get some good energy going for it. Since you're going through that prep process yourself, would you have any tips that um, you would want to share with fellow RevOps leaders who are also preparing for board decks? What are the kind of things yeah. you would want to suggest, either in terms of the order in which you look at um, your preparation materials or the way you craft the narrative uh, during the presentation? Yeah. So I think um, I've, I've worked for small private companies, large private companies, and also publicly traded companies. And some of the best board management that I've seen from a CFO or an executive leadership team is really kind of a lesser, less is more approach in terms of just a, a really tight talk track and story with very, very clear and precise um, metrics that support that. And then it, you really are spending the conversation on dialogue. It's less about going step-by-step step through some of the slides, you send that for a pre-read and now you're having dialogue around, okay, well, here's, we did the pre-read on these slides and here's the, here's some of the key topics we want to get into. And that's the best use of the board meeting. So I think it's, you know, making sure your store is tight, getting the board meeting of uh, board material out for a pre-read and then allowing for those really deep dive conversations during the, during the dialogue. Yeah. Really great advice. Um, my last question related to kind of your interaction with and your experience having been on the board is um, looking back, right? Would you have asked different kinds of questions to your operators or what are the kinds of questions you wish your board would ask a revenue ops leader so that they could actually get the picture that they want? When I was a banker and in private equity, one of the reasons why I decided to go back and try to be an operator is because there was so much about uh, what I was working in and, and around that I didn't quite understand because, you know, very early on in my career, I was just doing pitch decks and looking at metrics for some of these companies and really didn't quite understand how to build and grow, grow a, you know, a successful software company. So for me, I want to go build that experience so I can be a better investor. Now, here I am an operator and done it for the last 10 years. So I've got the bug. Um, but it's really some of the best investors truly understand what it takes to scale. And it's not about, Hey, here's your sales capacity model. We're going to throw more heads into this, and therefore we're going to grow top line revenue. But it's really the intricate components of what in the operation has to come together to drive sales capacity, to drive better attainment, and that just doesn't happen overnight, right? So if you were truly an operator, you would know that you need to have better enablement, you need to have better pitches, you need to get all of this together in a timely manner. Especially when you're, you know, we just went through a period of like three years of companies growing at no cost, hyperscale. And like, that was the most important. And now you're going to see some of the best companies who know how to really run a business thrive through this challenging environment because they have the right operations and infrastructure set up to do that. Wow. I think um, the valuable perspective you bring is to have experience on both sides. We more often see folks who've been on the operator side and then end up joining uh, an investor to help other portcos. In your case, you came from the finance side and then you decided, let yeah. me roll up my sleeves and have an actual experience of what it means to scale and run a business. That's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can't lie. I do get the urge and like the tickle to go back. And then I'll go through some of these processes and I'm like, wow, like I don't want to just consult on comp plans. I want to actually build the strategy. And like the things that you get deep on every day as an operator, you don't get to do in those roles. And, you know, maybe someday in my career after it's been, you know, three or four more good companies, you know, I'll go back and do it and I'll, I'll have some fun doing it. But 
right now I love being in, in the weeds and being part of being a team and, and growing the business. Yeah, that's so great. So I'd like to talk to you next about technology. And okay. sp- specifically, is there a tech stack tool at this point that you just can't live without? So um, when I got to Formstack, I think we use every piece of technology you could ever want. Yikes. Um, and we, we, use, we don't use any of them correctly. So obviously, we're in this environment where we're trying to you know, bring our costs down um, uh, in this new selling, selling world we're in. So I was going through with a fine-tooth comb as I got here and going through this. So we don't need this. We don't need that. Um, there was one that I found that you may not know of. It's called Gradient Works. Um, and what we were using Gradient Works for in that form stack really isn't what I think the most valuable use of that is as they pivoted the business and got to spend some time with their CEO, Hayes, to learn more about this tool they call Book, uh, book Builder. So effectively, it's dynamic book building that helps territory management and gives your reps the most high uh, propensity to buy accounts at the right time and dynamically manages and takes accounts out. Something that I've been looking for my whole career, which is how do you get reps the right accounts at the right time and make sure that you have balanced books, all that stuff that we've been doing in spreadsheets forever and having like a a more regional focus or again zip code focus, whatever you might have for territory management. These folks have done something I haven't seen yet before. So we are starting to starting to um, pilot this with our with our new books as the new fiscal year rolls out. But I'm super excited to get into it and see see how well it works. Yeah, boy, I can't wait to have you back and ask for an update on that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be good. Um, you probably asked me all the things I got rid of this year too, which would be farming. <laughs> <laughs> and you think of how many companies go through the last, you know, go through Q4 and start their planning for whatever the go-to-market changes are for the new year and maybe base territories or target accounts on incorrect information, out-of-date information. You're kind of only as good as the last enrichment unless you have a tool like what you described. Yeah. And a lot of companies don't do it as frequently throughout the course of the year as you need to, right? Because it just becomes something that's rather static. So I, I thought it was pretty pretty great idea um, that they developed the technology to do that. Sure. So staying in the realm of technology, I'm curious about uh, for reporting, where do you go for an at-a-glance view of what's going on in the business? You can ask me this question when we meet again too, and I'll have a better answer for you. <laughs> okay. But today I'm going into Salesforce. So um, all of our reporting comes out of Salesforce and we've started to build our performance analytics very simply in Excel. We do use Looker, but Looker isn't like it's not ramped up yet. And I hope to get to a point where we do have Looker built in a way that we're providing good snapshots of performance to the business. Um, but today, you know, I had a, a mentor along the way that said any any good analyst can build what you have in in, uh, in Salesforce reports. So um, we're just pulling it down into Excel and making it look pretty. Well, I think that makes sense. That's great. And certainly uh, your you know peers on the leadership team can do what they need to do when the data is pulled into Excel. They're just just inherent challenges to the distribution model using Excel. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? I think what we're doing right now in terms of managing our performance cadences, get everything in Excel, it updates every day. We run the models, we have nice dashboards, but we're we're putting those with PDFs and putting them, pushing them out to the business with insights and then having cadences to manage some of the conversations that we want to point out. So it's the age-old way that I've seen to do it effectively, but there's other pieces of technology we can plug in to get ourselves a little bit more modern. 
So I'm really curious, based on the last number of years and all you've seen in the different roles that you've had, I'm curious where you think we're going with RevOps and, you know, in particular, what the next big disruption might be within the RevOps world. I'm going to give you a couple here because I've been thinking a lot about this just in the back of my mind. I think the first thing is, as we continue to go through um, this, whatever recession might be or is going to come, folks are really thinking about net retention, right? If you look at the roles and backgrounds of a lot of great RevOps leaders, there's a lack of customer focus or customer ops focus. I think you're going to see a hard shift to more focus on the customer here in the next 12 to 18 months. And it's going to be really important to have that experience. And some of the best companies will be successful with that experience. The last thing is, I actually, this is my my future future state, which is probably 10 years out. Um, I think you're going to see more CROs and executive leadership team members come from RevOps. And I say that because we touch everything. We know everything about the business. We understand marketing, we understand product, we understand sales, we understand finance most of the time. And if you can bring that all together, you become a really good executive operator. And I truly think that's the that's the future state of what RevOps might go into. Well, I, I, I think you're right. I think the early returns are showing us a number of folks that have stepped from VP of RevOps onto COO. We just have an example of CRO even just this week hearing about that, which yeah. is so exciting. And then other leadership positions as well. So very, very exciting. Uh, to to see that, and it certainly makes sense why, based on what you've shared. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. Um, it's funny. I if you asked me when I got out of college if I wanted to be in operations, I would have said I don't know what that is. Um, it's not like they teach you what rev ops or sales ops or any of these um, roles are. And if they did, I probably wouldn't have. I wouldn't have found myself there. So I'm just lucky that I've had the opportunities that I have. Dan, you somehow anticipated some of the questions I had next because I want to talk about your background. I want to talk about your customer ops, CS type experiences. Um, like you said, most of the folks, I think, both on the podcast uh, as guests or even our audience did not know about what ops was or that that was even a career yeah. or a function. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear about your path, Dan. Okay. Um, you are based out of Boston. Uh, so that's yes. where David and I are as well. Uh, yeah, we're got, getting ready for this this chilly cold coming our way. We are so ready to be frozen. Yeah. It was a like <laughs> negative however many degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, frozen. Um, but you've been in the area for a while because you got your BS in yes. finance uh, locally here at Bentley. Yep. And then your last few roles also, um, your previous position prior to joining Formstack, your VP of global customer experience at Papaya Global. Um, two roles ago, you were, um, or rather the role, two roles before Papaya, you were managing director of revenue operations and customer success at Penn right. Foster. So to your point earlier about most RevOps folks not coming from the customer side, they're most likely sales ops, I think to a smaller extent, marketing ops. I want to understand how you got into SaaS RevOps and what unique perspectives you think you bring because of that CS or um, right. customer operations. Back. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah, I've lived here in Boston my whole life. And it was a funny little joke, you know, when you look for schools uh, to go go to college. I started in Florida and Texas and 
geez, here I am back in Waltham, Massachusetts, which was, you know, 35 minutes from where I grew up. So a little bit of a creature of habit. Um, went to Bentley. I think, you know, I've always pushed myself hard to be kind of a high performer and be the best at whatever I can do. And um, as I asked myself coming out of Bentley, what do you want to go do? Well, the best things at that time that they teach you about at at, at school really are, you know, investment banking, private equity, venture, management consulting, right? So I'm like, yes, this is what I'm going to go do. So I had this really unique opportunity. Um, I worked, well, obviously I worked through school, um, joined a small growth equity firm uh, called Brook Venture, learned a ton. And this is really where I got to sit across the table from operators and see the board perspective. Um, did that for a while and really ran the whole lead source to um, close process on the PE side, which is an amazing experience for someone that I was 21 at the time. Um, got a little excited to join a new firm that was called Bulger Partners at the time. Uh, Bulger Partners was taking this concept of more of a merchant bank, and it was a startup just focusing on software uh, and the software economy. So um, did venture investing, did banking, and did consulting. So I was like, what well, great, I could get all of this experience in one. Uh, in one uh, one place, this is this is where I fell in love with the idea of being an operator. Um, banking, so you're doing you know 100 hour work weeks. Like there's no there's no way around that, and you're doing pitch decks and you're putting sims together. It's you know a lot of grunt work. Um, I didn't really understand some of the like I wanted to go figure out how to grow those businesses from the other side. And the biggest moment I had was when I got on a plane. I had never been to Europe going out to bank uh, to run a, a private capital raise for this great company at the time, um, which is funny. I'll, I'll tell a story when I come back to Papaya uh, and land on the ground, nervous because I'm 22 years old. I've never been to Europe. Don't know what I'm doing. It's my first, like second real job. Uh, get on the plane. We sit in a room for three hours. I'm jet lagged to the X capacity, right? It's, it's great. The CEO goes, we're going to the Man U game. So we go, we have a box, the menu game, come back the next morning. And we're talking about the strategy. And like, he takes me over to the wall in, in this company. This, their headquarters is in Sandback, uh, in UK. And he says, this is our journey wall. He says, we want you to sign it. You're part of our journey. And at that moment, I was like, wow, I need to be part of something. And I didn't get that from banking and, and private equity. It wasn't part of like building a team or building something that you could be proud of. And that's when I knew that I needed to go be an operator uh, or just be, well, at that point, I know what an operator was, right? So I was like, well, I'm going to go do finance and a company. And that's really what I did. So that led me to Penn Foster. Um, got to work directly for the CFO and help them build out a B2B kind of internal startup off there. I think it was like a $200 million direct-to-consumer ed tech um, company. So did that. I really, you know, this is where I learned to be an athlete and operating companies and just go where you needed me, right? So in the early beginning, it was working with our private equity investors to build out the five-year plan. Then it was go actually make that happen and build the operation to support that. Um, I stood up at the time, it was sales ops, right? RevOps wasn't a concept. So I was the first person that was sales ops and someone called me that and I was like, why are you calling me that? I don't even know what that means. I'm just here trying to measure things and help us you know, get to our goals. Um, then... We finally grew the business big enough. We got a, a president of the division and he's a great mentor of mine. And I've learned so much from him. Um, and he goes, hey, Dan, do you, 
do you know, could you go build like a customer success function? I'm like, I don't know what customer success is. I guess, guess I'll, I'll figure it out. So here I am listening, you know, podcasts and reading as much as I can to figure out what customer success is and really had the opportunity to stand right up from scratch. Um, looking back on it, it was a great experience to just, you know, get in there and we hired like 15 CSMs, you know, here I am first time manager of that many people and growing and learning. Um, and we had, we had a really nice run. Um, we sold that company at Bank Capital. And at that point, I was like, I don't know what I want to do next. And this is where I got introduced to this company called Duck Creek Technologies. And I didn't know anything about Duck Creek. I didn't know anything about insurance software. Um, Duck Creek is a vertical SaaS company, right? And I think we've seen that trend um, in the market be really successful. Um, so I came into Duck Creek and I met my boss, Eugene, who's the COO. And we just started talking about kind of this concept of go-to-market operations really was a novel idea at the time, but like, how do you, he was responsible for everything from lead to, to renewal. So how do you build a consistent operating structure and system across all of those departments, break down silos from systems and process? And that's really what we did. Um, we had a hell of a run at Duck Creek. We, you know, we're right in the middle of this perfect time to, to shift insurance companies uh, to the cloud. Um, the market was hot. We had a great IPO. I think we grew the company software ARR up to 160 million in like three years. Like it was, it was a great run. Um, and I learned a lot and have had a great team at that point uh, at, at Duck Creek. I had, I had a specialty sales function, which was an overlay sales function, which, you know, I had some new revenue pressure. I had a renewals team. I had an SDR and BER team and the whole ops function. So to my point in being an athlete, I've just always found ways to just, hey, whatever you need, I'll figure it out. And then we bring it to where it should be in your organization. Like, obviously, You're very good at jumping in the deep end of the pool. You're like, yeah, I haven't done this yeah. before, but it sounds like we need it. I guess I'll put it on yeah. my plate. I mean, I, I think, you know, sometimes to my detriment, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you fall a little bit and you figure it out. But um, to, to positive, like, that's how I've built my career. And I've generally, like, I'm a generalist at the end of the day. Like, I don't go super deep in any one area, but I know enough about everything to be dangerous. And I build a good team around me to go deep in certain areas where I'm weak. So um, at the end of Duck Creek, you know, we've been a public company for two years. I was just not at the point where I was building anymore. Um, and we were just kind of running the thing. And I just decided to want to do something different. I started to see this trend of customer success, how important that was going to be, especially at the end of my time at Duck Creek, as we focus on more customer experience and tying that through. Um, and got an opportunity to work for a woman I've always wanted to work for, who'd been a mentor for me a very long time. Um, she was over at Papaya and she was practically like chief customer officer. And she said, come over here and run this thing with me. This is a little bit of a rocket ship. Papaya was, you know, is, is a great company. Um, they're solving really, really great problems in the market um, from a talent management perspective and a global talent management perspective um, with that. Um, and got the opportunity to have, run a global team of like 165 people, which is way larger than I've ever had. So it really stretched me as a leader to try to be better and different in how you do things and globally too, right? I, I was up at 5.30 in the morning on calls until 8 o'clock at night and really stretched me to do things differently. So great experience. And then more recently here at Formstack, where I've got the opportunity to Go a little bit deeper on marketing ops, which I think that's, if you think about my background, that's a little bit, when I think of majors and minors, that's been a minor for me. So I think one of our biggest things at, at Formstack is how do we rebuild our demand gen models so that we can go up market 
with a lot of these um, super PLG led company, right? Um, how do we go and monetize some of those 25,000 customers that we have through enter- enterprise vertical solutions? Yeah, that's definitely a theme we're hearing about uh, in a lot of our customer base, trying to introduce more of that PLG motion. How do we capitalize on existing subscribers? While we're on the topic, can you quickly tell uh, the audience, uh, what does Formstack do? We automate work. So what's great about Formstack is we are this great uh, platform that can tie all of your systems together, populated with data. Um, we find ourselves really strong in healthcare verticals. We find ourselves in education really, really well, also with software companies. Um, the funny thing about Formstack is uh, we actually use it at Papaya. And I got to see the power of it from an operations perspective, truly tying the whole process together across systems, populating that data down and just being really seamless. And also from a customer's perspective, we had um, materials going out to customers and coming back in with the right data. It's a really good product. And that was why I was excited to join here. That's so powerful to hear when a customer goes to join a company uh, yeah, just, just has that knowledge of the other side. So yeah, it's the first time that powerful. I've done that, um, and it was it was really refreshing because I've joined these companies that I've you know, Duck Creek. I've never worked in an insurance company, so I'd never used you know an insurance core system, so I didn't really know much about that. But yeah, I got to really use the Formstack platform as a customer and saw the value of like this is a no brainer to go join this thing. So Dan, I'm really curious, given the many roles that you've shared in your background, really kind of an amazing progression through your career, what's on your career bucket list? Oh, good question. I think about this a lot. Um, I, I think I just want to be someone who runs the company. I just love running the company and solving the problems, right? So whether that be you know a COO title or... Um, Maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe I'll be a chief revenue title. I've always been a little bit scared of uh, owning the whole number myself, but you know that's that's growth. Um, or maybe a chief customer officer. I don't know, but I do want to find myself in a place where I have an influence on how we run the business and where we go strategically. Um, maybe someday after it's all said and done, I do go back to the other side and maybe do some uh, poor co-work at a portfolio at, at a venture or private equity firm and kind of complete the circle. But I think I've got some time before that happens. I suspect you'll be running a business before too long. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. We've got a lot to do with Formstack. So that's what I'm focused on first. Yeah, that's great. So in the meantime, uh, leading a RevOps team can be pretty intense. I'm curious, what do you do to unwind? Good question. Um, So I've got a great wife. We've been together for almost 10 years. So she helps me kind of manage my ups and downs on a regular basis. She is a, a healthcare professional. So she reminds me, Dan, you're selling software and you're not saving lives. Oh, so no. <laughs> um, she helps me put that to perspective. Um, yeah, we've got um, we've got two great little dogs that sit next to me all day that kind of keep me checked. But um, outside of work and you know, I like to play golf. So um, we're going down to Mexico for a revenue kickoff. I've loaded up my 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 sticks. They're ready to go. I'm going to go hit some golf balls while we're down there. Um, so that'll be fun. And, you know, just, you know, it might be simple, but in the summer, I really like yard work and riding lawnmower, right? That's just, it's just simple. Nice. We lived downtown Boston for, I don't know, seven years or so. And it was just refreshing to be able to move up here a couple of years ago and have, you know, a couple acres of land that I could just go do whatever I want to do. And, yeah, that's great. I I can sympathize with that sentiment <laughs> a lot. So that's yeah. really great. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Um, 
being a RevOps leader is a lot of fun during the day and you gotta find ways to disconnect a little bit because you are so plugged in all the time. You mentioned along the way, as you adopted new functions, as you took on different roles, as you kind of just got uh, nudged into taking on CS or sales ops or whatever it was, um, that you listened to podcasts, read books. I'm wondering what are some of those go-to resources for you today in RevOps, be that people you admire in RevOps that you like to follow on LinkedIn or elsewhere, communities you're a part of where you do your learning, uh, or resources, books, podcasts, et cetera. What would you recommend um, the audience to check out? Yeah. So, you know, I've had a lot of success early in my career and that's, you know, I always found for me, it was time was against me. Like that was the only thing I was solving for because I had never been a 20 year plus veteran at leading ops or wherever it was at the time. So I had to go learn from people who had that perspective. So love podcasts. I love doing in my run is how I get through them every day. Um, Sean Lane is really good um, from Drift from an ops perspective. And I love a lot of the content that OpenView Ventures puts out there. So I know a lot of those folks um, pretty well, and they just got rock solid content and they're producing a ton of it. So super helpful to us. Um, I've got my books over there. I'm looking at them. One of my favorite books is The Trillion Dollar um, Trillion Dollar Man. Uh, it was about Bill, Bill Campbell's story. It was written by Eric Smith. So um, that's really good. And obviously, High Output Management is the Andy Grove book. Um, as an operator, you've got to have that on your shelf. And then you've got, uh, what else do I got? Um, oh, the hard thing about hard things. So that's Andreessen. Um, that's a good one. I actually might read that upon the plane on Monday. That's a solid reading list right there. I'm yeah. Like, oh, yeah. No, go they're good. They're good. Like those are my, like, I always find myself going back to, you know, high output management. Oh, the other one too. I forgot it. Um, extreme ownership. So that's um, Jack and Lori. Yes, very good, right? So whenever I join a new company and I'm bringing a new team, there's a couple of books that I make them read or like say make them read. Um, one is Mindset by uh, Carol Dweck. Um, super just like we need growth mindset as operators. Like we're always getting better. You can't have a fixed mindset. It's like if you're an operator with a fixed mindset, you may as well just go retire because it's, you're not going to get anything done. And then obviously extreme ownership. Own, own your business, you know, do what you got to do to get it done and be accountable to it. So those are two of my favorites. Just remember as I looked over there. <laughs> I just remembered, I can hear Jocko's voice in my head being like, whose fault is this? Exactly. <laughs> and it's probably, it's probably, it's probably my fault. Cause I didn't, didn't do like, I didn't reflect back on that. Right. So right. I, I just, they're really powerful books. Um, and you know, it's, it's good to just get new folks aligned on kind of what is that culture you're going to build from a leadership perspective and, um, some people like it, some people don't, but hey, figure it out. Great recommendations. Last but not least, where can people find you, Dan? You can find me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm more than happy to spend time with anyone who's interested. Um, a lot of folks have given time to me in the past, so I'm more than happy to give back um, and help you, whether it's about thinking about what's next or solving a problem or whatever it might be. I think my email's on there, but it, you can also get me a form stack. So dan.swimmerformstack.com. Amazing. Thank you for the generous offer for folks to reach out to you. And if folks want to look into form stack more or look into your open positions, where can they find that? Uh, they should be on our careers page of form stack. But if you are interested and see something you like, just send me a direct note and we'll get you involved. Amazing. And that's formstack.com. You got that's it. Awesome.
Dan, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Yeah. I, I feel fun. like there's, there's so many nuggets uh, from today's show, starting with, it just doesn't have to be perfect. And, and I think a lot of us hurt ourselves by striving for, for perfection when it just doesn't have to be. So great, great advice there. Uh, so many nuggets uh, from your background. And We're also- not finance people. Remember that it's okay to be. You know, we don't have to round. We can we can be eighty percent of the way right. Right. Yeah. Just- yeah. I think. Yeah, that's great. So we really appreciate you taking the time, spending it with us here on the podcast, and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun, and uh, this is a great podcast. So I'm happy to uh, to uh, be a part of it. And if there's anything I can do to help those of you that are interested in learning more, please let me know. Amazing. And we also want to thank the audience today who's been listening. Uh, If you learned something, if you've got a book that now you've added to your next uh, Amazon shopping list, please tell someone about the podcast, share the resources, sharing is love. Um, Thank you again, Dan, for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's been been great. It's been great to spend a lot of time with you guys over the last couple of weeks. Awesome. And this has been another exciting, insightful, unexpected, uh, full of gems episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OpFocus. Visit opfocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 